The theme of the conference this year was the urgency of evangelism in the world today. Some years ago, the Billy Graham Association initiated something they call the Lausanne Movement. And they got together in Amsterdam, I forgot the year, but I was there, and they came up, the whole idea is to get as many of the churches around the world together to evangelize the world in a corporate and a united fashion. They came up with the theme that time, the whole gospel for the whole world in our generation. And many different organizations were split off from that in order to accomplish this purpose. One of them is called the Joshua Project. And they are concerned more or less with keeping tabs on what is going around on around the world with evangelism. And they, every year they put out uh, a status they call the unfinished task, status of world evangelism. I want to look at the latest one. Actually, most of the information is from 2010. A little is given to 12 because all of the figures are not in yet. But we're going to adapt this as we go along as well in order to give a final challenge for the conference. Focus on evangelism. Notice they call it the unfinished task. What I'm going to try to do today is to give you an answer as to why the task is still unfinished after more than 2,000 years having received the command from Jesus Christ. Um, Let's see then what the Joshua Project has come up with. First, they focus on Jesus' last words. Of course, they're talking about what we call the great commandment or the great mandate, the mission's mandate. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. This is a King James Version, of course. Most versions today will say, as you are going, because the command is not to go in this particular text, the command is to make disciples. And that's very important to make out here. I think now, finally, a lot of churches are focusing on this fact, and they are now looking on making disciples as well. But this is, we'll make this a little clearer as we go along. Anyway, as a result of this word here, nations, which comes from the Greek meaning ethnic people or ethnic groups, the Lausanne. Uh, movement had come up with the idea that they should have a church for every people group, every ethnic group of people. There should be a church there with the idea that once the church is there, then these people will be able to do the evangelization themselves. Talk about, about that. Now, the idea is that as a result of this, if they can have a church in every people group, every ethnic group of people, that we will bring about what we read in Revelation 7-9, where there will be worship from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. That will be the idea. Their idea was that if we are going to reach every ethnic back person, then we need to have churches in the areas if the gospel is going to be fulfilled. That's the only way we can have these people, of course, in heaven that we sung about today. Now, as Anton mentioned, we know the end of the story. It's going to be realized, but it hasn't been realized thus far. That's the point. Now, so the question they ask is, why is making disciples of all nations so important? 
And the first answer they gave was, Jesus directly links his return to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And then they quote this scripture in Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, most people think that to mean that in order for Jesus Christ to come back, then we have to have the gospel preached to all the kingdoms right now. That's why I put a light, I put a note here. The end will come does not refer to the rapture. Now, not everybody believes in the rapture, of course, but those of you who do believe, it's not the idea that every nation on the earth, or at least a representative from every nation on the earth, has to hear the gospel before the rapture occurs. That is not the teaching if we believe in the rapture. Because we believe that the rapture could occur when? Anytime, any moment. This has reference, we believe, at the end of the tribulation, when the tribulation will be over, uh, and then God ushers into him the kingdom and goes into, the, into eternity and so on. So this is not referring to the idea that every nation in the world must hear the gospel before the rapture occurs. Now that should not in any way give you a sign of relief and say, boy, that means, well, I don't have to do so much to get the gospel out. No, you should do even more, even faster and quicker than you are because we have to give an account to God. Amen? for how what we've done here. All right. There will be worshipers from every people before his throne. In Revelation 5, 9, when John talks about Jesus Christ as the Lamb, he says, he purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then in Revelation 7, 9, it says, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That is the urgency of evangelism. That's the purpose for it right here. To see that people from every nation, every ethnic background, every nationality stands before the throne of God. That's why I remember when we were talking about what is the goal for evangelism today when we talked about Jesus interview with the woman at the well and we said that the goal of true evangelism is to seek worshipers remember what the text says the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth jesus says for such people the father seeks to worship him or to be his worshipers evangelism the main objective is to get worshipers true worshipers for the triune god we must never forget that it is now just to make a convert and to put a little uh, notch on our belt to say we got one more. But when we go out, what should be motivating us is to find the worshipers that Jesus Christ is looking for, that the Father is looking for. But the concept of the church for every people, that was the idea. That was what the Lausanne movement encouraged all the churches to seek to do, to support missionaries who will go into areas where the gospel has never gone before so that a church could be set up. So what is the status after more than 20 years? Well, look, let's look at how many people groups are there in the world today, according to the Joshua Project. Now, they total the peoples by the country. People groups counted for each country it is in. This is the list most often referred to as the peoples of the world. In other words, 
we might have some of these people living here in Nassau. You understand what I'm saying? They might be representative of this group of people. It doesn't mean that these group, these, uh, uh, these people they put in special groups are only in one place and they're not anywhere else. That's why I said it's quite possible that if you understand the concept that it's not every ethnic group of people that are going to be saved, but rather representatives from that group, it is quite possible that the last ethnic person of any particular group could be in Nassau today. And you could be the one who lead that person to Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. Let's look at it then. According to Joshua Project, there are over 16,600 people groups in the world today in the different countries. Now, how many of these have been reached, either partially or, not, or how many have not been reached? The best current estimate of the unreached or least reached ethnic people group is 7,100. Now, remember, these are groups. Within these groups could be hundreds and even millions of individual souls. So this doesn't mean 7,100 souls. It means 7,100 groups, ethnic groups of people. And within these groups, each of them, there could be thousands and even millions of people. Here is the countries with the most unreached people. These are not all of them. These are the ones that have not been reached yet. In India, there are 2,325 unreached peoples. In Pakistan, there are 4,553 groups. In China, there's 4,419. You would think it'd be more than anyone else, but it's 419. Bangladesh is 331, and in Nepal, there are 328. Now, one of the most challenging things, as we see in a moment, most of these ethnic groups have their own language. And most of them, if not all of them, do not have the Bibles yet in order to read the Scriptures. Now, I won't go through this because this is a little detailed, and I don't think you can be able to see it as well on the screen. The colors here sort of represent the areas that are, the percentage of areas that have been reached. The, the one in red is the most unreached or least reached groups of people. 1.1, 1.2 is those who have a presence of the church, but really there's no response from the gospel. And the two-point area there, this is what they call the nominal church, less than 2% evangelicals. The way that Joshua people define evangelical they look at them as genuine christians all right true christians then they're nominal christians people who profess but not necessarily who are believers all right so they might be there but they're not doing anything for christ at all if they are they are salt that has lost the saltiness and therefore they're not being used then the green represents the significant this is the established church now if you look the Joshua Project Progress Scale provides an estimate of the progress of church planting among people groups. Now, again, um, this is just a bar of the saying the same thing. If you look at it on a map scale, the green represents the areas where the gospel is established. This is the place where these are the places where in the world where the gospel is established. The church is well represented there. The yellow area shows a nominal presence of the church. The church is there, but it's not a strong church. It's not a vibrant church. The red represents the unreached or the least reached people. Notice they're almost in the same uh, area they call 
the 1040 window. We'll talk about that in a moment. The gray areas are the areas that they don't have any figures on or there's uninhabited, uninhabited, all right? Now, they ask the question, what strategy can the church use to make disciples of all the nations? Notice they're emphasizing making disciples, not making converts, but making disciples. He says, Mark 6.15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The idea is that the first step to make disciples is to win converts. That's the first step, but that's not the end step. That's not the final step. Since they say we do not know who is part of God's family, the church ought to strive to give every person the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Now today I understand we have over 7 billion people on the face of the earth. What the Joshua Project and what the Lausanne movement is saying is that the gospel should be presented to each of these individuals. Of course, the question comes up, is that realistic? Is it a realistic goal to present the gospel to every person on earth? How would you respond to that? Yes? All right. Well, they give Coca-Cola as an example of the fact that it can be done. When Coca-Cola first came about, they had an objective. A can of Coke in the hand of every person on the planet. That's Coca-Cola. Now, here's the, resp- here's the thing. They, got a, they say, in all of the Islamic world, you could find Coca-Cola. Go to China, all over the place. In fact, they say, anywhere that we call unreached nations, you could find Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Now, I'm not going to talk about Kentucky Fried Chicken, but can Coca- <laughs> Coca-Cola for sure. Here's how they presented in, in this, uh, with this model here. If you look at the world as Coke drinkers, all right? Because this is how... Coca-Cola has permeated the world with their, with their product. The green represents Coke fans. They're the ones who drink the Coca-Cola. The same thing is true of individuals. This is what we call evangelicals today. True Christians represent 10% of the population. 20%, that's the blue. They're cola drinkers, the nominal adherents of Christianity. In other words, they will drink any kind of cola. You know? They'll drink any kind of cola. They're not committed to Coca-Cola, but they will drink some kind of cola. Now, that's why when you bring it over to Christianity, you've got to watch out who you call Christians because you have a lot of people call themselves Christians, but they're not really committed to Christ. They'll go after this God, after this one, and so on. You understand? And then the, the yellow, 40% non-cola drinkers. They heard about Coca-Cola, but they have not responded to it at all. They parallel individuals who have perhaps heard about the church, heard about Jesus Christ, but there's no response to it. 30%, that's the red, cola unknown. They don't know anything about the cola at all. That represents those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, what are some of the ways that the church are using to reach every person with the gospel? I remember, every individual. Well... Bible translation. This is a bar here that shows you some idea of the progress of translations um, since the church started. Now, if you look at the chart carefully, you'll see there's quite a rise after the year 1500. The question they ask was, why was that? The reason why, because that's when printing press 
came on the scene when it was invented. And once the printed press was invented, then the gospel was able to spread across the board. However, it's still a challenge to get the gospel in the language of these... Uh, uh, what's the Bible? Ethnic. Ethnic groups. It's still a challenge, you will say in a moment. The New Testament has been translated into the mother tongue of over... 87% of the world's population. That's tremendous. However, the remaining approximately 13% will require over 2,050 new translations. New translations. That means you have to have people who go into these areas, spend years learning the language before they could actually write it. Now, of course, the computers have helped to speed this up. There's some of the remarkable stories of how fast the... Uh, the word has been translated because of computers today. It's just, it just amazing. But another interesting thing is, is that there is sort not too much of a push anymore for people to go into tribal areas to translate, where they learn the language and write. But they are looking for what they call storytellers. People would go into the tribes, live with the people, then tell the stories of the gospel so it can be told to their people rather than written. They say that's even a faster way. So now storytellers, believe it or not, are becoming an important part of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out to these unreached people. Storytellers, isn't that amazing? Now, what is the most viewed film in history? And remember now, they're talking about means or, uh, that are used to get into these areas. And what film has been translated into the most languages in history? What would you say? The Jesus film. Jesus film. Uh, again, I won't go through it over here now, but there have been approximately 6.5 billion cumulative viewings of the, and hearings to the Jesus film. Over 6.5 billion. That's more, that's viewings now. People who have seen it and it's been shown over and again. This film is available in languages known by over 95% of the world's population. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. But now, of course, for people to see this, you've got to have the equipment and all that kinds of things. I can tell you some stories I've read about how whole tribes have responded when they've seen this Jesus film. How they got really mad when they saw that Jesus Christ was being crucified. They got up wanted to beat up the missionary who was showing it. So that's why you let a good man go through this, you see? And then after they explained, hey, we're not finished yet. And then when it came to the resurrection, and then they saw him raised from the dead, how the whole uh, tribe would just erupt in thanksgiving and praise and so on. Just amazing what's going on. They also use Christian red, uh, radio broadcasting. It is estimated that Christian radio broadcasters cover at least 90% of the world's population. That's a good thing. But the bad thing is that most of the stations are not carrying the pure gospel. They're confusing people. They're mixing up the gospel. And they're not giving the pure gospel. And really, that really than being an asset, it's really becoming a, a, a stumbling block in many areas because of the kind of message that has been given. So here's a summary. If you have the idea of a church for every people group, the global total is 16,600 groups unreached or least reached 7100 true believers 10% in the world of the world's population 
20% are nominal adherents to Christianity. 40% of the world's population have heard the gospel but made no response. 30% of the world's population still have no exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's according to the Joshua Project after 2012. Now, some would ask then, because, especially because of the spread of Islam today, is Christianity stagnant, declining, or growing? What would you think? Do you believe that Christianity is growing or losing ground? Growing. And that is quite true. Now, again, these are some figures here. I can't go through all of them. They're giving you some percentage of the world's religions like Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, Islam, and also evangelicals as contrasted to the Christendom or the church as a whole. But let me give it to you from here. It says evangelical Christianity, and I notice evangelical Christianity, this is referring to those who truly come to know Christ, is growing faster than Islam and two times faster than Buddhism and Hinduism. It's amazing. It's just amazing. However, most of this growth is not in the areas where Christianity has been established. Like Chin Ake has mentioned in his meetings, what we call the Reformation countries, they're the ones now who are the least Christianized, where the gospel started, if you want it. Now they've become gospel, I'm sorry, mission fields themselves. And the same thing with church growth. growth. Most of it has not uh, been accomplished in what we call the Western world, North America, or the Caribbean Europe. True Christianity has grown by more than 300 million believers in the past 10 years. 300 million. 10 million of these new Christians are from North America and Europe. That's where we normally look at it as where Christianity was established and the strongest. But notice this now. 290 million, the rest of them, are from developing countries like Nigeria, Brazil, India, and China. This is what they call now the southern shift. The area that is growing more rapidly is what they call the global south, the new faces of evangelical Christianity. That's like China, Africa, Latin America, and places like that. That's where the growth is coming, not in these areas. For instance, look at the Philippines. In 1973, there were 3,000 churches. In 2005, there are 55,000 churches in the Philippines, 55,000. In 2010, the Philippines expected to send out over 10,000 cross-cultural workers into the 1040 windows in the next 15 years as tent-making missionaries. Now, this is a place that used to be a mission field. Now, they're sending out more missionaries than the United States, England, or any part of Europe. It's just amazing. China, 1948, they had less than 1 million believers in China. Now, back then, you know, they said every fourth child would be a Chinese. So you got to be careful of your children. In 2012, and upwards, upwards of 100 million or more believers in China. Most all of the growth has been in the last 30 years. That's in China, in home churches, house churches. Over 12,000 new Chinese believers every day. Every day. That's why we've got so many of them down here building the Palma now. 
great need is for pastoral training. The great need is for pastoral training. They're trying to train these people. When I was over with the Lausanne movement last time, that was a big need, trying to find people who would go into these areas to train these people to reach their people themselves because it will save so much money, so much difficulties if their own people reach out in saving in serving the gospel. Now, developing world mission initiatives. In other words, looking forward in the years to come, where will most of the missionaries come from? Who will be the sending nations? Nine years ago, it was United States, it was England, and so on, but not any longer. And this is what they call the new, the 1040 windows, as you've seen in that block area there. That's where most of the unreached people live in that area, in that area. Now, who will be sending missionaries in in years to come? Latin Americans, they plan to send 21,000 missionaries from Latin America. Nigerians, as Africa, 15,000 missionaries will be sent. The Philippines will send 10,000 missionaries. The Chinese, 50,000 missionaries. That's how many missionaries are expected to be sent in this area they call the 1040 window. Notice very little coming from North America or what we call the West. It's all from this called the Southern Church now, the Global Church. Korea, 30,000 missionaries. And of course, most of these are South Koreans, not North Koreans. Because as we'll see in a moment, North Korea is probably one of the major uh, countries that persecute Christians. You can look at that in a moment. Then... Gentile, Jews rather, it's amazing how many Jews are coming to Christ. And so the, the Joshua Project people are saying, the fullness of the Gentiles brought in and the gathering back in of the natural branches beginning. They see a lot of Jewish people coming to place faith in Jesus Christ. So when you look at it overall, the church is growing. In spite of what you hear about the persecution, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, and the growth of Islam and everything, God's church, the church of Jesus Christ, is still moving on. It is alive and well. But now they ask the question, why hasn't the Great Commission been completed? Let me ask you a question. Think about it for a moment. Do we have the authority to complete the Great Commission? Who gave us that? Right, because he sent, he said for us to go, right? So he's given us the mandate. Do we have the manpower to do it? Do we have the money to do it? Do we have the power to do it? That power is the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Isn't that right? So we have all of these things. We have the command of Christ. We have the manpower. We have the money. We have the power, the Spirit of God. And yet, after 2,000 years, the Great Commission is still not completed. The task is still unfinished. Now, why? Now, they tried to answer it. First, they said, spiritual challenge. This is what they say. Satan does not give up ground without a battle. In other words, the reason why it's so difficult to complete the mission is because of a spiritual battle. And these areas, the 1040 areas, especially, they call it the stronghold of the devil because this is more demonic action than everything else. But you know, at the same time, although there's a lot of demonic activity going on, 
There's also a lot of the spirit power going on. Most of the people in Save Knows area are saved directly by God's intervention. Thousands have been saved by having dreams or visions about Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like to think about that. No, no, no. I, I'm, no dreams and visions today. They don't happen here. But in those areas, it's established fact. Some of the things you hear about in the book of Acts are being done in these areas where the church is not found. And that's why I say when it comes to these gifts, I believe that if the same circumstances that existed in the new in the book of Acts exist anywhere in the face of the earth, then God will do the same thing to establish a act through miracles and wonders and so on. And that's what's happening. So Satan does not give up ground without a battle. Well, they also say here, more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries combined. Isn't that amazing? Combined. So there is a spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual battle going. But how do we respond to it? Well, my response is, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have the victor on our side. We cannot lose. And besides, you know, the saying is true. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. That's why the church is growing, I believe. Now, we like to think, well, boy, we certainly don't have any kind of persecution here. It's coming. It might not come in the same way, physical, but we already started to be persecuted Christians on the social level. Look at what's happening now with, for instance, with same-sex marriage and all kinds of other things coming in we could talk about. Not at this time, but the point is, we are going to be marginalized more and more as time goes on. As the Bahamas tries to follow the United States and what they call progressive, you know, moving ahead, forgetting all the old traditional things, and let's move on. Science is replacing God. You see? In fact, I heard that in one of, one of our leading uh, talk show hosts said that very thing, talking about same-sex marriage. He says, science has established the fact that homosexuality is natural. Science. He says, now I know what the Bible says, but you cannot deny science. He goes on to say, if you deny science, then stop listening to your radio. Stop driving your car, because all of these things came about because of science. Isn't it crazy? This is the way they argue, you see. But my point is, we will find some point of challenge and persecution to our faith. Now, then they do what they call the population challenge. It says 5.5 billion lost people in the world. If you looked at five of them per second, it'll take you 35 years just to see the 5.5 billion people who have not yet heard the gospel as they go through. Isn't that amazing? So that's a challenge. Then they have the people group challenge. The remaining people groups are the most difficult to penetrate. They say geographic barriers, remote, harsh, climate, different, uh, different access, or nomadic. Remember, Chen Aik told us about some of these things when he went into the tribal areas in the mountains. Linguistic barriers, all of them have different uh, tongues, different languages. Cultural barriers, they live differently and everything else. That's why Chenek is trying to get the word of God into these areas. 
so that the people themselves can use it and would not. That's why I would like for us to see if we can give the Chinook at least a thousand Bibles to give to these Chinese tribal areas where he's reaching out. To do that, we wouldn't have to send as many evangelists into the areas because these people themselves will be doing it. So I want you to be thinking about that. To give, he says it costs three or four dollars for one Chinese Bible. So I figured that if we can raise $3,500, because that's in between, that's, you know, that's either three or four dollars, that should cover the cost of a thousand Bibles. Think about it, see if you want to contribute towards that. So I'm saying here that the people group challenge can be met if God's people are willing to give. And also it cuts down on individual evangelists going there because the people themselves will be able to do the work. Then there's what they call a political or national challenge. Countries with the highest percentage of unreached tend to be the most closest, most close to Christianity. That is just logical, of course. And they give North Korea as an example. North Korea is in the news today because of the um, nuclear threat. North Korea is ranked as number one in Christian persecution in the world today. Now, we would think it's some Islamic nation because of all we hear. But according to the Joshua Project, it's in North Korea. Government severely represses all religious activity, and there is systematic oppression, imprisonment, and execution of Christmas, uh, Christians. Now, isn't that a contrast? In South Korea, you have Christians all over the place. They even had a Christian prime minister or president, whatever they call. I remember when I was in Korea, we went to a Korean church, thousands of people. And... Um, they emphasize praying. The people will come hours before the church will start to have prayer meeting. Hours. And they would st stay hours after the meeting to have more prayer meetings. People in the church want to pray. So they have a bell. The pastor has the bell. And he'd ask the people to pray. But when he wants them to stop, he ring the bell. And you better start so somebody else could pray. It was just an amazing thing. Thousands of Christians over there, and they would walk miles upon miles to come to attend a church. And then they would stay for hours. The pastors tell me some would stay for days if they lived too far away. They would actually stay for days, praying all the while. Koreans, South Koreans, are known for their prayer life. In Korea, North Korea, physical and spiritual starvation of 2.3 million people. All right? That's what they call a political challenge. Then there's a resource challenge. And they say there's an imbalance in missionary distribution. Imbalance in missionary distribution. What percentage of missionaries work amongst unreached people? Now you would think that missionaries would go to the places where the gospel is not being preached, right? So what percentage of missionaries you think working among such people? Anybody want to guess? One in ten missionaries work among unreached people. The majority of reach are going to places where the gospel has already been proclaimed. That's an imbalance. It's a wrong focus. Then there's also, as a result of this, an imbalance in mission finances. For every one dollar of Christian giving to all causes, how much goes to financing pioneer church planting among unreached people? In other words, take all the giving that's given to churches if you want. How much of the dollar would you think would be going to reach unreached people? 
Here's what the Joshua Project has come up with. Less than a penny of every dollar that is given goes to reach people who have never heard the gospel. Less than a penny. The majority goes to missionaries and people and, and, and institutions that are working with people who have already heard the gospel. So why hasn't the Great Commission been completed? That's their answer. Here's my response to that. I believe it's because the church has misunderstood the Great Commission. The church has misunderstood the Great Commission. I remember we did an exposition of Matthew 28 when it talks about uh, the fact that the command is not to go. The command is to make disciples. And you see, we have a lot of people going to do mass evangelism. And the people who are here don't feel that they got to go next door or go in their community. Why? They're paying somebody to do their work. And so you have one person going to do mass evangelism and you have hundreds of people in the church ain't doing nothing. Why? Because they're paying one missionary or one pastor to do the evangelism. That's a misunderstanding of the Great Commission. And so I say, some people say we have like 2.8 billion Christians in the world. If that is true, then I say we have 2 billion disciples who are not making disciples. They have misread the Great Commission. How many Christians see disciple-making as their responsibility? Let me make it personal. How many of you see disciple-making as your responsibility, your personal responsibility? Not an evangelist, not a pastor, but your responsibility. How many of you see disciple-making as your responsibility? Now remember, disciple-making begins with, ev with evangelism. So when I say how many of you see evangelism as your responsibility I'm asking the same question all right my answer is very few of any very few Christians see evangelism or making disciples as their individual responsibility they see it as responsibility of paid individuals either evangelists or pastors as a result of this there's also an imbalance in evangelization here's a fact most Christians believe that evangelism is to be done by those who have the gift of evangelism. So they are satisfied in paying them to do what God demands of all Christians. See? They're satisfied with that. It is a false satisfaction. It is a false peace of mind when you think all you have to do is give money for somebody else to preach the gospel when you should be doing it. The church, I say, has misunderstood the Great Commission. That is why the task of making disciples is still unfinished. And I think there's a renewal of that belief now. I am so glad to see so many churches now focusing on this. And I've done my research and over the past few months. I see that happening again and again. And as I say again, we have 2 billion disciples who are not making disciples. In other words, they're not being true to the Great Commission. Here is a quote. And I'm quoting this because... It seems that these guys stole my notes, all right? But I want to read it to show you that I'm not the only one who's saying it. Here's a quote. The church in North America isn't growing because of bad PR or ineffective marketing or lack of technology. It isn't growing because few churches focus on making disciples. They go on. Discipleship is also essential to church growth because only mature disciples reproduce themselves. Now they're defining a mature disciple as a person who reproduced, 
who lead others to Christ, teach them to lead people to Christ. If that is true, how many of us are mature disciples? We like to say, I'm mature. If I come to church all the time, I read the Bible, I know all of these verses. But these people are saying, no, no, unless you are reproducing, telling other people about Christ, you are not a mature disciple. Not only is maturity in Christ the biblical goal for all Christians, but it is the only realistic method for sustained church growth. Notice what he says. Sheep have sheep, not the shepherd. The point is that adult mature sheep have the babies. Mature Christian disciples share their faith and have spiritual children. The shepherd's job on the ranch or in the church is to nurture and grow sheep to maturity so the adult sheep can reproduce. That is the concept upon which my ministry is based. And so I'm, th I'm thankful for that, uh, that validation. Now, what we're talking about here is the difference between growth of the church by addition and growth by multiplication. Mass evangelism could be termed growth by addition. Billy Graham has said that he believes only 10% of those who come forward in his meetings actually stay on as true disciples. 10% from Billy Graham himself. One-to-one -one discipleship is growth by multiplication. Now you say, what's the difference? Well, here's one illustration that these four give. To illustrate addition, if we start out with 100,000 churches that will lead one new person to Christ every week, now that's 100,000 churches. It will take 1,346 years to reach the current world's population of 7 billion. That's 100,000 churches leading one new person to Christ every week. That means 5,200 Christians every year. It will take 100,000 churches 1,346 years to reach the world's population. Now let's go on. But to illustrate illustration, if we start out with one Christian and, his Christi and this Christian lead only one person to the Lord each year, the Christian will then invest a year bringing the new convert into spiritual maturity. The following year, the two Christians will each lead a person to the Lord and spend a year leading them into spiritual maturity. Every year, this doubling process continues. Using multiplication, the present world's population can be reached in less than 33 years. Isn't that something? See, this is why I'm so excited to hear Richard and uh, these folk talking about the need for discipleship and the, the intent, the commitment to see that that is established. It is so vital, so important here. Now, again, you probably can't see this too well, but this is the numerical here. When it starts out now, it looks like addition is good because in the first year, you got 5,200. But over here, when you do it by multiplication, you only got one. In the second year, you get 10,400. Over here, you only got three. But as you go down the road, by the time you get to the 18th year, over here, you have 93,600. No, that's not the one I want. There is a big widow. Actually, it's a 33. Let me go over here. Yeah, in 33 years, over here you have 171,600, but over there you get 8,590. In other words, the church should grow by multiplication rather than by addition. And I believe that's why the Great Commission hasn't been done yet, because we've misread the mandate. We have been adding rather than multiplying. You see? And so 
there's a challenge I want to give out to the missions conference this year. You remember now when I presented this, and I, when I was talking about evangelism, I talked, I called it organic evangelism because it is the church growing itself, all right? So here's the challenge I want to give to us as members of the credible body of Christ here at Calvary Bible Church. Pray that God will lead you to one person whom you will lead to Christ. Then commit yourself to discipling him or her for six months to a, to a year until that person is duplicating the process with someone else, reproducing. Make a commitment to do that this year, and we could see discipleships being, disciples being added to Calvary Bible Church. Members of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary Bible Church can do much to help to finish the unfinished task. Again, remember all of the ethnic people who are in the Bahamas, Chinese, Haitians, Greeks, Indians, you name them, they're here. We have the opportunity to do it. What will be the end result? After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And remember what Jesus says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That is the objective of evangelism and discipleship. Sila, think and act on these things. Take a few moments, please, of quiet reflection. If God has spoken to you in any way from his word and you need to make a commitment in any form or fashion, perhaps it's what you're going to give uh, to the different challenges, to the missionaries' upkeep, to the, uh, to the different special projects, Camp Bahamas, the Thailand orphanage, uh, the garden, community garden, the um, Lano's um, van, uh, whatever the Lord might lead you to, or to help to get the 1,000 Bibles for Chinake so he could go into the tribal areas with the word. Make a commitment right now as to what you will do, but primarily, most importantly of all, commit right now that you will seek out someone to lead to Jesus Christ. Pray for God to lead you to someone that he is already working in by the Holy Spirit and that you will commit yourself to discipling that young person or that young man or older person until they are doing the same thing and then continue to do that for the glory of God and for the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.